wow, that was pretty impressive. Um, you know, considering the storm came in through where we live, out in Fort Myers, um, we didn't have nowhere near the amount of flooding that you guys experienced here. So, um, you know, I was telling my wife, I said, I hate, hate missing service. Um, but you know what? Uh, I wouldn't want you guys to be driving under those conditions. Um, that's not safe conditions to drive in. Um, it's not safe for a vehicle to go over all that water. So as much as I missed you guys last week, um, I think it was safer to stay home um, and have service online. So I hope you guys enjoyed your Shavuot. I hope you guys watch the teaching. If you haven't, go back, um, share with people. Um, you know, we saw similarities in Shavuot. Um, and I spoke of while the church is trying to divide the two, we see that Pentecost happen during Shavuot. And so God is very precise about his seasons. God is very precise about what he does. And we saw the, the time between Shavuot and Pentecost. There's no division between them. Um, it happened in two different times but they both go hand in hand. And it shows how we tie the Old Testament and the New Testament through these two events that we spoke about last week. Amen? Um, but now we're going to go back to Leviticus 10. And my wife left off in Leviticus 10 a couple of weeks back on verse 8. And we're going to be touching a topic this morning that's a very sensitive topic. And... I want you to be open-minded because everything that I'm going to tell you this morning, I am going to take it back to Scripture. So it's not what I say, it's what Scripture says. That being said, at the end of the teaching, you are entitled, like always, to make your own decisions, dig in deeper into the Word, and if you have any questions, by all means, please come and ask, and I would love to sit and talk about it. I always encourage you guys to go back and study on your own because it's not just about what I say up here, but what God reveals to you as well in Scripture when you sit down and take your own time to study. But before we go into Leviticus 10, like I always like to do is share our podcast. And we are on 11 different podcasts. If you're watching live and would like to follow us on any of these podcasts, you can find us in Apple, Google, Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, PocketCast, Stitcher, and Reason. And you can find us in One Spirit, Miami. And if you also like to sow a seed, you can go into onespiritchurch.com and sow a seed into this ministry if this ministry has blessed you. So let's go back and pick up on my wife left off. Now, we're going to be reading again on Leviticus 10, verse 8. I'm going to pick up on verse 8. But I kind of want to remind us of where we're picking up, just in case we forgot. We're about to pick up in scripture where Aaron's two first sons have just been consumed by the fire of God because of what? Because of an unauthorized fire that they brought before the Lord that God did not ask for. So in other words, they were in disobedience and because of their disobedience, they were consumed by that fire. So I want to remind us. Why do I remind us of that? Because I'm sure Aaron's attention to what God is about to speak from verse 8 forward is very clear and is very focused on what he's about to speak through Moses. <laughs> and I want you guys to be pretty much focused on what we're about to speak on this morning because I'm going to give a lot of scripture and I want you guys to please, please follow along. So go with me to Leviticus chapter 10, verse 8, and we're going to read from verse 8 to verse 11. Leviticus 10, verse 8 to verse 11. And it says, Adonai spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or fermented drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, so that you do not die. 
This is to be a statue forever throughout your generations. You are to make a distinction between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. You are to teach the children of Israel all the statues which Adonai has spoken to them through Moses. What Aaron is told here is that prior to performing his priestly function, no priest should drink any intoxicating beverage nor wine. We need to focus on what scripture says and not take scripture out of context. When we add and take away, the Bible is very clear about not doing such things. A lot of us have been taught certain things for a very long period of times. And I think this part of scripture here and all the scriptures that we're going to dive into this morning is going to bring a lot of clarity on it. Now, that being said, again, at the end of the day, you make your own choice on what you choose to do. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm just going to teach you what scripture says. Right. What you do with it, that's on your own. We're all grown-ups here. Amen? Amen? So what scripture is saying here, clearly, what God is speaking through Moses to Aaron is that no priest, before they stand to do any function for God, should drink any wine or any intoxicating drink. And Hebrew is the word yayin which is typically used in conjunction with the word shikar. Yayim means wine, and shikar means strong or in strong intoxicating drink. These two are usually brought together in scripture as we just finished reading. This is simply an instruction to the function. I cannot emphasize enough on that word. This is an instruction to the function of the priesthood that they are to be fully sober before they perform their priestly duties before the Lord. Let me explain. It is similar to me walking in here and standing on the pulpit and having drank a bottle of wine or a strong intoxicating drink and then standing here before you guys trying to teach. That is wrong according to what scripture just finished saying. Why? Because I have to be sober Come on. and be aware of what I'm teaching you. Otherwise, you will think that what I'm teaching you and the way I'm behaving up here, if I wasn't fully sober, it's okay. I will be misleading you. I will be going contrary to what Scripture says. Because if I'm performing a function for the Lord, which I am, standing up here, teaching His scriptures, I cannot be under the influence. I'm performing a function for the Lord. I'm not saying that I'm equal to the priest by no means. This is the function that God has placed me in this morning to teach. And therefore, I'm just giving you an example of what it would be if I were to do the same thing according to what scripture says. I cannot be under the influence and stand up here and teach you the word of God. Those who are actively doing something in direct service to the Lord should not, should not drink intoxicating beverages prior to beginning that activity. Why is that? Because you are representing God. Simply. You are a representation. That's why I say the pulpit is a very holy place and should be reverenced, should be feared. Whenever we come before the camera, whether we're teaching Torah on Thursdays or we're going to minister to somebody, whatever it may be, we are that vessel that God is using at that moment to speak in his behalf. Amen. And so if we are that vessel that God is using at that moment to speak in his behalf, we need to behave accordingly to what scripture says. So we are representing God and therefore we cannot be careless. Because if we are careless, we are being offensive to God. First and foremost, 
If we are careless, we're being offensive to God, first and foremost. Second of all, people will think that it's okay to behave that way. You guys hear me say it all the time. Someone is always watching. Your behavior, your speech, your actions, the way you do things when you're representing God, someone is always watching. So if you behave a certain way and you're careless about the way you're behaving, when you go speak to that person that might have been looking at you the way you were behaving and try to speak contrary or say otherwise, they're going to say, wait a second. That wasn't the way you were behaving a week ago. That wasn't the guy you were, you were talking about a week ago. How come you weren't believing the same guy you're believing today a week ago during the situation you were going through with your husband, your wife, and your job, whatever it may be? Oh, because God got you through it now? So you forgot? So you forgot. That's why I said there's power in remembering. We have to remember where God got us out of, where he got us through. Don't dwell on that memory. Don't dwell on that thought, but do not forget where he got you out of. You have to remember. There's power in remembering. So again, our carelessness, our behavior can be offensive to God, but it can also lead others to behave in such way. Now that being said, I do want to make clear that this is not a direct instructions that you may not drink wine. Say that again. That that I just finished saying, it is not a direct instructions that you may not drink wine. Remember, this is talking about a function. This is talking about a function you're about to do for the Lord. Two different things. Let's not mix them. Let's not take scripture out of context. Because this is what happens when we take scripture out of context. We get confused. And so when we're about to talk to somebody about a certain topic, we're all over the place. But we have to stay within context. Here, Aaron, what Moses just finished talking to Aaron, that God said is about a function that he was about to do. Right. You cannot be intoxicated. You cannot drink wine prior to that function. That being said, it is not an instruction at all that you may not drink wine. And I will back that up now in plenty of scriptures that I'm going to give you. In fact, the whole Bible from beginning to end makes it very clear that yayin, wine, it's a gift from God. It is symbolic of joy and blessing, not drunkenness. Yayin in Hebrew, which means wine, it is a gift from God and is symbolic to joy and blessings, not drunkenness. Let's go into the plenty of examples that I'm going to give you. First one, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 26. Please pay close attention. So when somebody asks you, you can take them to scripture. Because I know that after this teaching, I'm going to catch a lot of heat. But that's fine. It's okay. No problem. Because I'm taking everything back to scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 26. says, you may spend the money for whatever your soul desires, cattle, sheep, wine, strong drink, or whatever your soul asks of you. Then you will eat there before Adonai, your God, and rejoice you and your household. Now, again, I want you guys after this teaching to go read prior and read after. Because it's not just taking a scripture out of context. I want you to go read prior and read after. So you can see exactly what Deuteronomy chapter 14 is saying, even in that section of scripture. Here God is speaking about the tithe and the blessings that he gives us and what to do with the blessings that he gives us. What we're able to do. 
That's what Deuteronomy chapter 14 is speaking about. Read it on your own. I'm not going to go into those chapters because we'll be here about two, uh, two or three hours if we go into every single scripture. Read before and read after so you will see that I'm not taking anything out of context. I'm not trying to justify anything. I'm simply taking it back to scripture. So we see here that God says in Deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 26, it is a celebration. It is a joyous event. Remember what we just finished saying a little while ago. It is symbolic to joy and blessings. We see the first one in Deuteronomy. The second one, Ecclesiastes. Chapter 9, verse 7 through 9. Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verse 7 through 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 7 says, Go, eat your bread with gladness and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already accepted your deeds. Let your clothes always be white and do not spare oil on your head. Live joyously with the wife whom you love all the days of feeding life that he has given you under the sun during all your feeding days, for this is your portion in life and in your toil that you labor under the sun. That's why I'm so happy with it. <laughs> I walk in here with so much joy every day because of this very scripture. I read the scripture over and over every day, just as a reminder. <laughs> Here we see the author of Ecclesiastes describing the destiny of all mankind when our deeds are acceptable to God and how we can celebrate them Amen. while we're here on earth. So we saw first the first description of a joyous event, of a celebration. Again, here we see another celebration of what we're able to do while we're here on earth. Number three, Psalms 104. Psalms 104. I'll give you plenty of scripture. Again, read before, read after. Psalms 104, verse 14 and 15. Psalm 104, verse 14 says, He causes grass to spring up for the cattle and vegetation for men to cultivate, to bring forth bread out of the earth, Wine that makes man's heart glad. Wow. Oil to make his face shine and bread that sustains the man's heart. So we see joy, we see a celebration, and we see cultivation. Luke chapter 7. Just in case you thought it was only Old Testament. I'll take you to the New Testament as well. <laughs> Luke chapter 7, verse 33 and 34. And we're going to finish with the icing on the cake afterwards. <laughs> Just in case there's any doubt. Luke 7, verse 33 says, For John, the immerser, has come not eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. <laughs> he doesn't eat drink wine, John the Baptist, okay, that's what Jesus is talking about right here. John the Baptist came, he didn't eat bread and he didn't drink wine, but the Pharisees, drink, read before and read after, see what it's talking about. The Pharisee says, he has a demon. <laughs> but the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. Wow. wow. And you say, look, <laughs> a glutton and a drunker, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. So John is called a demon, but the son of man is called wisdom. Yet he came to offer bread and wine. Wow. Stay in the New Testament. John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Verse 6 through 11. John 2, verse 6 through 11. You guys should know this. 
This is Yeshua's first miracle. And I'm going to break this down in a minute. Because there's a lot, a lot of opinions on this. I'm going to give you facts. Now, there were six stone jars used for the Jewish rituals of purification. Each holding two to three measures. Yeshua said to them, fill the jars with water. What were these jars for? Purification. Fill them up with what? Water. water. So they filled them up to the top. Then he said to them, take some water out and give it to the head waiter. And they brought it. Now the head waiter did not know where it had come from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. As the head waiter tasted the water that had come that had become wine, he calls the bridegroom and says to him, everyone brings out the good wine first, and whenever they are drunk, then the worse. But you've reserved the good wine until now. Joshua did this, the first of the signs in Cana of the Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The jars were for what? Purification. Purification. They were filled with what? Water. water. That water became what? Wine. Wine. Wine was the purification for the celebration that was taking place. Wow. He called to fill it with water, but turned that same water, which was for purification, became wine. So the wine became the purification of the celebration that was taking place. Not only that, it was the best wine. It was the most important wine because of the one who had made it. Amen. So we see joy, we see celebration, we see cultivation, and we see purification. Wow. All associated with wine. Genesis. Chapter 14, verse 18. Let's go back to the Torah. Genesis. Chapter 14, verse 18. Says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of El Elyon, God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by El Elyon, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be Elyon, who gave over your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. We see Melchizedek bless Abraham with what? Bread and wine. After he gave him that, Abraham returned back and gave him a tithe. Because he saw that the blessing that had been poured over him was worthy and where it had come from. So we see joy, celebration, cultivation, purification, and now all these things are associated with a blessing from God and therefore something is given back in return. Last but not least, Numbers 18, verse 8 through 12. Numbers 18, verse 8 through 12. Adonai said to Aaron, See, I have given you charge over all my offerings. All the sacred things. Please don't miss this. Adonai said to Aaron, See, I have given you charge over all my offerings. All the sacred things from B'nai Israel, children of Israel. I have given to you as set aside for you and your sons as a permanent share. You are to have the part of the most holy things that is kept from the fire, whether grain, sin, or guilt offerings that they bring to me as most holy, they are for you and your sons. You are to eat it as most holy. Every male may eat it. It is set apart for you. This also is yours, the gift of the wave offering of the children of Israel, 
I have given all the wave offerings as a permanent share to you, your sons and your daughters. Everyone who is clean and in your house may eat it. Verse 12, all the finest olive oil, the finest new wine and grain, they give to Adonai from their first fruits. I have given them to you. This section of scripture says that this, it is sacred and most holy. And it's given back to who? To God. Very interesting. The Last Supper. What did Yeshua offer? He couldn't offer anything when he was sitting along with his disciples, right? During Pentecost. What did he offer? Bread and wine. As an offering back to God. Why? Because it was holy and most sacred. See, we've been taught for a very long time that wine, you should not drink wine, you should not drink this. Because they take scripture out of context. I'm going to even go deeper with it. So we see that wine in the Bible is a symbolic of joy, not drunkenness. But wait, pastor. The wine in the Bible was different than the wine today. You're absolutely right. And we're going to break that down. Because a lot of people say that the wine in the Bible was not fermented. Yeah. That is wrong. Wedding, they were drunk. <laughs> that is wrong. When you go into study scripture and you go into studying, the wine in the Bible times was fermented. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that being said, the alcohol levels were a bit different. The alcohol level during Bible times was on an average three to four percent, according to studies. The average alcohol level of wine nowadays is about 11%. So it is a little bit higher. That being said, both wines were fermented. So the theory that we've been taught that the wine or the water that Jesus turned into wine that was not fermented is wrong. The wine that is spoken about from the beginning of Genesis through all scripture that is not fermented, it's wrong. There are times in scripture that the Bible speaks that there's wine that is not fermented and there's times in the Bible that the Bible speaks that is fermented. That being said, it will say in scripture, do not take scripture out of context and mix the two. That's where we get the wrong theology. That's where people get confused and people quickly point a finger and say, you can't drink wine. Bible says you can't drink wine. And I'm going to take you there in a second. <laughs> so we're going to take everything back to Scripture. I want to bring clarity on this topic. Yeah. As much as I can. Mm -hmm. So yes, there was a difference between the Bible wine during this time, the alcohol content, the level of alcohol, to the wine that it is today. Both, both were fermented. Now, all that being said, drunkenness is never, ever, 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 ever approved. And those involved such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Come on, say it. All that being said, that I just explained, that I just emphasized on. See, the pastor says I can get blasted. No, you cannot. No, you cannot. Let's not take scripture out of context. Pastor says I can go get drunk. No, I did not say that. I gave you scripture that backs up what we're talking about in Leviticus is on a function. And I gave you scripture that the Bible says that wine is meant for joy, for a celebration, for cultivation 
as a blessing from God. Right. Don't mix the two. Yeah. That being said, I'm going to make my third point. You should never, ever, ever get drunk mm. because you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. We're not going to read this large portion of scripture, but that is where you find it. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 20 clearly says, do not get drunk off wine. Just because wine is a, associated with a joyous event, a celebration, a cultivation, things we can give back to God, does not give you the freedom to go get drunk off of wine. There is a very fine line yes. in everything that we do. There is a balance in everything that we do. And therefore, if you cross that line, you go from blessing to curse. Wow. To curse. Wow. You cannot give back to God from this side of the line. Mm. Because you're not what? Clear-minded. Oh, so Don't mix the two. One has nothing to do with the other one. So again, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 20, read it on your own. You're going to find there, clearly says, do not get drunk of wine because you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But it doesn't say that you cannot drink wine. It says don't get drunk off the wine, but it doesn't say you cannot drink wine. Don't abuse the blessing. Wow. Priests were teachers as well as they were near to God. Remember, they were a representation of God here on earth. So priests were teachers and near to God. So drunkenness would have affected their decision making. Again, they would have been careless. They would have been foolish with the things they would have taught, with the ways they would have spoke. If they would have stood in front of a pulpit or in front of the congregation and been drunk off a wine would not have a clear mind or a clear conscience on what God is speaking at that moment to say to the people. So during that time, they were going to have no wine whatsoever or no intoxicating drink. It was prohibited while they were operating in a priestly function. Key word here is function. So for those near to God, we are to be more careful than those who are not because the standards we bear are much higher. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that we're better, but the standards that we bear are much higher. Again, goes back to what I said at the beginning. Someone is always watching. And guess who's always watching? The non-believers. Yeah. <laughs> because they're the first ones that would like to point a finger at you yeah. on your behavior and your flaws. Yeah. So there's a time and place for everything. Very careful, do not be careless. Be careful, don't be careless. That's good. I believe the issue here in Leviticus 10 is more about God making it very clear for those under the sort of function, again, to the Lord, that there is no sort of deviation. That there is, you have to stay within the guidelines and the statutes that God has set. There's not, maybe I can bend them a little bit and bring that back into what I have to teach afterwards. Maybe every now and then I can have a couple of drinks before I stand in the pulpit. No. Clearly says you have to be sober if you're going to teach, if you're going to represent who I am in the pulpit. This is a holy place. You have to be sober. Clear-minded. Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. Follow my statues, not the way you feel like it, the way I have ordered them for you to follow. And don't take scripture out of context. Don't add nor take away from it. That's unbiblical. We've been taught way too much wrong theology for too many years. To grab one scripture, grab another one, mix the two. When one has nothing to do with the other. One is speaking about a function, another one might be speaking about a habit. Mm -hmm. 
But we mix the two, and there we get a wrong theology on things. That's where people like to point fingers. Again, I'm going to catch a lot of heat on this, and that's fine. But I'm taking everything back to Scripture. And I'm telling you to read before and read after every Scripture I just gave you. So again, it's under the function to the Lord that there is no deviation from what God has instituted. In other words, don't take things out of context to justify any actions that are contrary to Scripture. By no means am I trying to justify any of my personal actions through what I'm teaching you. I'm just simply teaching you what Scripture says. What I do and what you do, we're two different people. Am I aligned to what Scripture says? Absolutely. Because by no means am I here drunk at all. I'm sticking to what scripture says right there. As long as I'm under a function, I am supposed to be clear-minded, sober, so I can represent God the way I'm supposed to represent God. Now, going back to Leviticus chapter 10, you guys with me? Going back to Leviticus chapter 10, from verse 12 to verse 15, it basically speaks a little bit more on the sacrifices and offerings, which we have already kind of gone over several, several times, so I'm not going to focus too much on that. I do want to go all the way down to verse 16, and we're going to finish reading from verse 16 to 20 and end this chapter today. I do want to bring as much clarity on this topic as possible. And something that happens here in these last four verses. And please don't miss. This is the way you have to read scripture and read it slowly. So you can see what it's saying and God can reveal to you what it's about to say. So again, we see that what God is focusing when he speaks to Aaron through Moses is most about a function. Not about a habit. Not what he's to do outside of his priestly duties. He's speaking about what he's do, doing at that specific moment, acting as a priest. The function. Go down to verse 16. We'll begin to close with these last verses. It says, Then Moses searched carefully for the goat of the sin offering, and noticed it had been burned up. So he snapped at Eleazar and Itamar the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is most holy, and he gave it to you in order to bear the iniquities of the congregation, to make atonement for them before Adonai? Look, its blood was not brought into the inner parts of the sanctuary. You certainly shall have eaten in the sanctuary as I commanded. But Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they presented their sin offering and their burnt offering before Adonai. Aaron is talking on behalf of his sons, Eleazar and Edomar. Today they presented their sin offering and their burnt offering before Adonai. And then he goes on to say, When things like these have happened to me, would it have been good in the eyes of Adonai if I had eaten the sin offering today? And Moses finished by saying, when Moses heard it, this, when Moses heard this, it was good in his eyes. Very interesting what happens in verse 16 through 20. Remember, all this is taking place after the first two sons of Aaron have just been consumed. Okay? Now everybody's attention is full focus on what God is saying through Moses. But then, it almost seems as if Moses begins to act under his own emotions. He begins to act on, under what he sees not taking place, that yes, God had ordered to take place before, but now it almost seems as 
he's the one that's taking charge and telling Aaron, who are you not to do what I commanded? Mm. Wow. Wait a second. Wow. Up to this point, every time we have read scripture, <clears throat> up to this point, every time we have read scripture, every time Moses referred to God, what did he say? When Moses was speaking, that God spoke through Moses, what did Moses always finish by saying? As God has commanded. Let's look at verse 18 for a second. It says, look, it's blood. It's speaking about the sacrifice that, again, Eliezer and Edomar didn't eat. They brought it, but they didn't eat it. Remember, this was supposed to be a function of the priesthood. They were supposed to eat their portion of the sacrifices inside the gates. That was part of the ceremony. We've studied this before. But look what verse 18 says. Look, its blood was not brought into the inner parts of the sanctuary. You didn't do this. You certainly shall have eaten in the sanctuary. You didn't eat it either. As I commanded. Who are you? Now we see men stepping into what God had ordained to do. Yes, they were wrong. But now we see the mixture. You see what happens when we mix things? They get taken out of context. Now what Moses is doing here says what I commanded. Now he's going contrary and he's going above the word of God. It's not what God has said. It's not what God has ordered, even though it was, but it's what I commanded now. Why haven't you done what I told you to do? Look at Aaron's response. Because Aaron's just like, <laughs> Aaron's at this point must have been like, dude, I just saw my first two sons get killed. I don't want my other two getting killed. What's going to happen here? But wait a second. Even Aaron caught it. Yeah, come on. Even Aaron caught it. says, wait a second, dude. What do you mean what you commanded? And he, look what he says. He says, but Aaron said to Moses, behold, today they presented their sin offering. They presented their burnt offering. They did both of the things that they were supposed to do. They just didn't eat it. Do you not remember what just happened, Moses? Their brothers were just consumed. Did you see me eat after that? Does it say anywhere there that Aaron ate? From the offering that his earlier two sons did? He was showing Moses that even though there was a time of mourning and they weren't supposed to be focused on that time of mourning of the first two sons being killed, it wasn't what Moses was saying to do. It's what God had established to do, yes, but listen, they did what they were supposed to do, but they're still going through it. They're still going through it, Moses. You have to understand, they still did what they were supposed to do as a priest. They brought their burnt offering. They brought their sin offering. They just didn't eat it. Do not allow your emotions because neither did I eat when my earlier two sons brought their sin offering and their burnt offering. When things like these have happened to me, says Aaron, would it have been good in your eyes, in the eyes of Adonai, if I had eaten the sin offering? Would it have made a difference earlier if I would have eaten? Would it have brought my sons back? No. If I would have eaten now, if they would have eaten from the sacrifice they brought, would it have brought their brothers back? No. So yes, they did partially what they were supposed to do. They didn't do it entirely. So they are at fault in, to somewhat extent, but cut them some slack. It's not what you commanded, it's what God commanded, and they're aware of it. They're aware of it. So we see that Aaron says, Moses, relax. I understand that what they have done is not fully to the extent that God has ordered. And what Aaron was doing, he was 
he had feared that the carelessness of Nadab and Abihu has seemed almost to have led Eleazar and Itamar to do something similar. Yeah. Yes. They brought the offering, they did partially of what that offering contents of the function, but they didn't do it in its entirely. So I'm sure Aaron at this moment is like, what's about to take place? But then when he saw that, Moses snapped, because that's what scripture says, that he snapped and started acting under his own emotions. He's like, wait a second, it's, this is bigger than you. You're not the one that dictates things. You're not the one that forgives people. It is not your mercy that we're searching. It is not your grace that we're searching. It is God's mercy and God's grace. So it almost seemed as Eleazar and Edomar had done something similar to what Nadab and Abihu did at the beginning. But was it a serious or not? They had not eaten the meat of the hatah, which is the sin offering, that was instituted. So now what? Would the same outcome come from Eleazar and Edomar? Where they be consumed by the fire in the presence of God? All this is taking place in the presence of God. God has not left. God is still there. The presence of God is still there. It's just the words that Moses chose are not the same words that he has spoken before. Now he's acting under his own flesh, under his own emotions. How dare you do all this and not go forth completely with the sacrifice? They were supposed to eat it within the courtyard of the tabernacle. But instead, they ignored God's specific command and didn't bother to eat it. So why weren't they destroyed for this violation? This is a violation. This is a violation of what God has instituted to do. Why weren't they consumed instantly the same way Nadab and Abihu were? This wasn't necessarily an unauthorized fire. Again, they had done partially of what they were instituted to do. But in a sense, we can look at it as it was done wrong because it wasn't carried out through. Right. So why weren't they consumed? That's a very good question. But I may have an even better answer for you. Paul in Romans 9, we're gonna read that, quotes directly from Exodus when he attempts to answer a similar question. Remember, Nadab and Abihu were consumed instantly. Yes. Eleazar and Edomar were not. Were both sacrifices similar in a way? Were Nadab and Abihu maybe intoxicated? Maybe. Doesn't say in the scripture. They both did something that caused disobedience and not carry fully something out through that God had ordained to do. So they were both guilty. Why wasn't Eleazar and Edomar consumed? Paul puts it great in Romans 9. Go with me to Romans chapter 9. And he gives us the answer to this question. Romans chapter 9 verse 14 through 18. It is a very tough answer, but it's as best as you're going to get. And, you, and guess what? You get what you get and you don't get upset. <laughs> this is the cup you have for me. This is the cup that wow. they got, and it's a different cup that Nadab wow. and Abihu got. That's right. Yes. Wow. This is so good. Romans 9, verse 14. Wow. Romans 9. Romans 9, verse 14 through 18. Look what it says. Again, this is Paul referencing the Torah. So you see that Paul does not have his own theology on things. When Paul quotes something, Paul quotes what? The Torah. Because Paul was Jew of Jews and he got his instructions from the Jews of Jews, which was Messiah. Come on. 
And so all that foundation, guess what? It was since the beginning of time because the New Testament wasn't available. So where is Paul going to get his reference from? The Torah. The Torah. Yeah. So look what Paul says in chapter 9, verse 14 through 18. It says, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God. Is there? May it never be. For to Moses, he says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So that it does not depend on the one who wills or the one who strives, but on God who shows mercy. For the scriptures say, you know what the scriptures are? Oh. You have to study that. <laughs> Otherwise, when you say, oh, for the scriptures, oh, this is what Romans says. No. Scripture's Old Testament is a key word. Yep. Search it up. Yes. Study it. Yep. Wake up. <laughs> for the scripture, it says to Pharaoh, where was Pharaoh found in the New Testament? <laughs> Put two and two together. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, so my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Wow. Verse 18. So then he has mercy on whom he wills, and he pardons whom he wills. In other words, don't question what God says or who God consumes. That is God's will. He shows mercy on who he wants and compassion on who he wants. That's why you can't stop looking at your neighbor and compare yourself with your neighbor. That's right. You and your neighbor are two different people. Yeah. God shows mercy on who he wants. He might show mercy on his neighbor even though he's complete sin. That's not your concern. Wow. Remove the speck from your own eye first and then maybe God will show mercy on you. concerned always with, why isn't God doing anything to them? Why is God showing mercy on them? Blah, 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 blah. That's right. And we're so blinded to what we're involved in. We're no better. Sometimes we're heaven, water, and sin. And what do we do? We grab scripture to justify our actions or our functions. Don't mix one with the other. That's how you take scripture out of context. Yep. So does the Bible say anywhere that you can't drink wine? No. It says do not drink it when you're about to do a function for the Lord. And don't get drunk. But it does say don't get drunk. That's right. But don't miss... Don't mix the drunkenness with the function. Mm -hmm. The drunkenness, it's a habit. The function is a function. When you mix the function with habit, it creates, a, a, the, you, you get the scripture and you take it out of context. Yeah. So again, we see here in Romans 9, Paul referencing the Torah and giving us the answer to the question that we should have had in those last four verses of Leviticus. Why weren't they consumed? Why didn't they experience the same fate as their brothers? Not because Aaron justified their actions, because they did partially their function, but because it was that God has mercy on who he wants, and he has compassion on who he wants. Mm -hmm. Simply as that. We are no one to question God to on who he has mercy on and who he has oh, compassion on. That's, right. that's his prerogative, his decision, not yours. Wow. Look what Isaiah 55 verse 8 and 9 says. Just in case you still have questions. <laughs> 
Well, that don't sound right, Pastor. I don't like that answer. Okay. You don't like my answer? Well, let's look what scripture says. It's not your answer. I mean, I could have sworn I quoted. Don't be a Moses here. I mean, I could have sworn I quoted. I could have sworn I quoted the scriptures, but hey, if you want to believe that's my answer, fine, I'll take you back to scripture again. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. God speaking, by the way. Amen. Amen. This is not me speaking. <laughs> Isaiah 55, verse 89 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. It is a declaration of Adonai. For as the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So just in case you still have some concern or some questions, well, that just doesn't sound right. Well, let me take you back to Scripture and say that God's ways are higher than yours. And his decisions are higher than yours. And his thoughts are higher than yours. So are you supposed to figure out God? No. Never will. Just simply to obey Amen. God Amen. and allow Amen. God to show mercy on who He wants and compassion on who He wants. You worry about yourself. Do not worry about other people. Yes. You know, haven't we been told this over and over and over? Can you save anyone? No. No. So why are you concerned about somebody else? Come on. Salvation is independent. Yes. Be concerned about your own salvation. How about that? Because even though you've been taught that you can't lose it, guess what? I'm going to tell you something. Listen, you can lose it. Read your Bible. Yes. That's a good topic right there. And that'll be another topic for another day. That will be a good one. Because we'll bring clarity on that. Yes. Once saved, always saved. Wrong theology. Come on. Unbiblical. And a lot of people are in church that yes, way. Yes, they say that. Once they always say, but guess what? The rest of the six days, I can do whatever I want. Because on Sunday mornings, hallelujah. Praise God. All the time, he forgives everything I did. No, he doesn't. That's his choice if he wants to. That's not his job. Come on. It's not for you to tell him what he forgives. So even though Eliezer, see, I'm getting excited for another topic. <laughs> <laughs> next week. Next week. Next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's cranking myself up. <laughs> even though Eliezer and Edomar did not eat the sin offering, I do want to bring some good news to you. I know someone who did. And that's the reason why you were not here this morning. So even though Eliezer and Edomar did not go forth completely with their priestly duties as far as the sin offering and the burnt offering, I know someone who did eat of that sin offering. And it's the reason why you and I are sitting here this morning. And that was Joshua. He did eat from that sin offering. And he was crucified as a sinner in our place, yet knowing no sin. And what it says in Leviticus 10, that that sacrifice was to be part or to become the atonement for the congregation. Yeshua crucified on the cross as a sinner, yet knowing no sin, became our atonement. He became our kapara. And that's the reason why you and I are here this morning. I pray this last part of scripture in Leviticus 10 has brought some clarity. And just like I started, I want to finish. The decisions that you make are your decisions. Yes. The decisions I make are my decisions. What convictions you have should be aligned to what scripture says. Yes. The convictions I have should be aligned to what scripture says. Yes. 
we can in no time say my convictions are different than yours. Yes. That doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. The convictions have to be mutual to what scripture says. Mm -hmm. What we do could be different, but the convictions have to be the same. By no means, please don't misunderstand me. By no means am I telling you to go drink wine. Mm -hmm. By no means am I telling you to go have a strong drink. I'm just simply teaching you what scripture says. And I am teaching you that scripture also says to not get drunk. Because you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. What choice you do with this, it's on your own. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and step, Amen. please. Uh,